0: Welcome to another episode of the Real Talk on Women's Health podcast with Essentia Health. I'm your host, Lauren Wells, and we have a return guest today, OBGYN Dr. Michael Cassing. I could talk to you for probably 100 episodes, but this episode, we're going to talk about menopause. Before we get into that, though, let's talk about that age group that falls in between like childbearing years and then menopause itself.
1: I see patients of all, really of all ages. I think one thing that I didn't want to bring up for sure today is there is a group of women, roughly the ages of 35 to 50 that are often lost to healthcare, and it's after they're done, after they're done having babies, um, but before they hit menopause. And so, if they don't have a baby, um, if they don't have a concern, they often are not seeing a physician at all. And and oftentimes the OBGYN is their primary care doctor until they are done having babies. And so for things like breast screening, cervical screening, there's really important reasons for, for women to be seeing a physician or seeing a provider every, you know, few years at least.
0: So like me, I don't have any kids. I'm I'm thirty one. Basically, what you're saying is like it's still important even if you didn't have a kid or if you're you're done having kids, you still need to be going to see your OBGYN and getting all of those things tested and screened and everything like that.
1: Yeah, and it doesn't have to be an OBGYN for For non, you know, certainly breast screening, cervical cancer screening, um, blood pressure, basic health issues, uh, family medicine is very appropriate. Internal medicine is appropriate. You can see a nurse practitioner, even a midwife.
0: What are some things that that specific age range needs to look out for?
1: So I, I think the main thing women need to be aware of is a change in their own health. And what does that mean? If you're if you're showering and you feel a lump in your breast, that's obviously pretty straightforward. You need to have a breast exam and some form of imaging done. A change in your menstrual cycle, a change in how you feel after you eat, bloating, um, that's new uh, pain, that's new pain with intercourse, uh, trouble with bowel wounds, trouble with urination. Uh, really, I, I think that if women consistently experience something that is new for them, then they should be seen.
0: So there's a phrase that I actually don't even know what it means. Um, so I'm hoping that you can tell me about perimenopause. When does that hit women and kind of what is that?
1: Yeah. So, so perimenopause is essentially before women hit menopause. And menopause is defined by one year of not having a menstrual cycle in women who have previously menstruated. There's four symptoms associated with menopause. Hot flashes, night sweats, sleep disturbances, and vaginal dryness are the four main symptoms, and that's because their estrogen is low. And when the ovaries shut off, the estrogen levels will drop. Um, Perimenopause is essentially the time leading up to that where you may have irregular periods. Women tend to have uh, periods that get closer together and then will space out prior to heading menopause, and then they might have hot flashes or night sweats or sleep disturbances that are not as frequently as when you hit, actually hit menopause. And the age to remember is that the average age of menopause is 51. So, you know, women, some women can experience it at 45 and some women experience it at 55. So it can be any kind of any time in there.
0: This might be a really dumb question, but can anything send you into menopause early? Is that a myth?
1: Yeah. So no, it's, it's, that's certainly not a myth. The, the most common things are either chemotherapy for a cancer or a surgery where, for some reason, your ovaries had to be removed. The other thing is that there are genetic conditions that women will have premature ovarian failure, and then that would be uh, an, a cause for early menopause.
0: Is there anything you can do about menopause? I mean, should you go see a doctor if you are of that age and you think maybe you are going through menopause?
1: The main thing that I think it's hard for some people to deal with is the symptoms. And so the symptoms really should lead your care. If you are feeling fine, tolerating everything well, it's not interfering with your life, not interfering. With your sleep not uh, interfering with intercourse um, you don't need to be seen specifically for menopause now you do need to be seen for high blood pressure and cholesterol and and all that sort of stuff so you should be seen regularly anyways and that will be part of any routine wellness visit uh, but if you have specific concerns that are bothering you um, then certainly patients should be seen because it's a quality of life thing for many people
0: can you tell me a little bit about like does it cause bone loss does it increase heart disease are all those things connected to menopause or are those maybe just things that t- Time out with it at the same time? Like, is it possible for menopause to cause maybe bone loss, or does it give you a higher rate of heart disease? Or is that just age as well?
1: It's probably a combination of both, but we definitely know that that estrogen is protective of the bones and of the heart. So 50 years ago, whenever everyone was having a hysterectomy, they just took out her ovaries. Um, we now know that that is, not, that is not the right thing to do. And so we try to, at all costs, leave ovaries in for as long as we possibly can, because there's good data that women that have their ovaries live longer. And we don't know if it's because of their ovaries being in there or if it's just because they haven't had other conditions that would interfere with you know how long they would live. Uh, that being said, estrogen is absolutely protective of the heart and it's protective of the bone. And so, you know, keeping the ovaries in and having estrogen for as long as, as you can is um, is certainly beneficial.
0: So a myth about menopause that maybe you can clear up, does it lower like sex drives in women or is that just something that, you know, they put in TV shows or, you know.
1: Yeah. So it's it's not really, I think, the menopause per se that decreases libido in women. The estrogen lowering, what it does is it thins out the vaginal tissue. And so, you know, in a in a woman who is having regular cycles, has regular ovaries, there's three layers of cells. When the estrogen levels fall, it goes to one layer. And so what happens is, is it's, it's more painful uh, oftentimes for women to have intercourse when they're in menopause. And so um, having pain with intercourse, it's natural that you're going to avoid things that are painful. And so there are many, many things that we can do to help treat pain with intercourse. And it's actually a very satisfying condition as a physician to treat, because you can almost always restore satisfying intercourse for patients, either with estrogen, with dilators, with pelvic floor physical therapy. Uh, we have a lot of, of things that can help uh, women feel better and have better intimate relationships. So um, it, it is part of menopause, but it's not it's not a forever thing.
0: What are some questions that women going through menopause maybe ask
1: you? The biggest myth about menopause is that everyone kind of goes through it the same. And, and that is completely not true. You know, some women honestly breeze through it and just stop having periods, and they're good. They don't have hot flashes, night sweats, sleep disturbances. Other people, it's horrible, and it really interferes with their life. And we have a lot of treatments that we can, you know, provide people for menopausal symptoms. So I, I would say, just because your mother had something or your friend had something, doesn't mean that you're going to have it. And and what you are experiencing is valid, and you need to talk to somebody about it if it's if it's bothering you.
0: Is it possible? And you kind of touched on this, but for women to go into menopause earlier than that time frame that you mentioned?
1: Absolutely. So sometimes women will experience it at 40 you know and with the average age being 51 we know that some people have their period until they're 60 years old now that's certainly an outlier but to get to that average somebody at 40 has got to stop so it it can happen
0: is there any cases of anybody maybe going into menopause in their late 30s and i'm asking just for myself because i'm in my 30s now or is that would something have to be wrong or something else at play there
1: there are cases of that it is exceedingly rare though
0: and what about hitting menopause maybe way later in life from that time frame i mean usually just mentioned an outlier, but how typical is that?
1: You know, I most women are done having periods by the time they're 53 or 54. That that's kind of usually the latest that we've seen.
0: And I know you just mentioned it's like a year without your period. That's kind of what's considered menopause. Is that kind of the time frame that women might feel off if they are having symptoms? Can it last longer? Can it go shorter?
1: Yeah, it, it's incredibly variable. I would say the perimenopausal, postmenopausal symptoms, it's usually Two to three years um, of you know increasing hot flashes, night sweats, uh, trouble sleeping, um, and, until they're completely done. But yeah, again, some women it'll be four months, and some women will be five years.
0: I might get in trouble for this if my mom's listening, but I just like remember her always like talking about it and complaining about menopause. Is it genetic at all? Like, am I gonna have the same symptoms as my mom? I know you kind of touched on that, but how much does genetics play a role in in menopause? Uh,
1: it certainly plays a role in. Fact that you you know have a similar DNA, I've never seen your mother, but likely similar body habitus and metabolism and that and that sort of thing. Um, the the thing that is better now is that we have a lot better treatments for menopause than we used to.
0: Is there any cases where menopause can actually turn like life-threatening? Or is that just another myth?
1: So the symptoms of low estrogen are not going to be life-threatening. Um, certainly if you have, you know, cardiac disease that is made worse or, you know, you, you already have low bone mineral density or osteoporosis, that isn't going to be helped. As far as it being life-threatening, the only thing that I can think of sitting here is if they have some psychiatric illness and that could push them into like a psychosis, that would be, you know, a very unfortunate situation.
0: Is there anything I can do in my 30s maybe that would help that process, even though, I mean, obviously that's decades down the road, but if anybody, You know, is in their younger years. Is there anything I can do now to maybe make that easier on myself later down the road?
1: The main things are um, to maintain an active lifestyle, keep your, you know, your blood pressure as as good as it can be, make sure your cholesterol is is good, weight bearing exercise. So running and um, lifting and and all that sort of things is very helpful. Um, Not smoking, not smoking marijuana. Those are all things that can be troublesome for the ovary. So those, you know, just staying basic health will help you, you know, your ovaries go a long way.
0: And maybe women don't think about this, but like if you're going through menopause, you can call, you know, an OBGYN and you would help kind of walk them through that, answer any questions that they might have. Right.
1: Absolutely. We we do it all the time.
0: Because I think that's a myth, too, about OBGYNs that maybe, oh, you're just delivering a baby. But if you've given birth, even if you haven't, you need an OBGYN most of your adult life, I feel like for one reason or another.
1: The the largest area of of women's health that's growing is mature women's health, uh, which was a phrase coined by Dr. June Lavalure, who's a pioneer in the field of, of women's health at the University of Minnesota. And basically every doctor that's trained in Minnesota knows Dr. Lavalure. And you're right. As far as you don't need necessarily be seen every year, um, but there are things that come up, whether it's um, difficulty with intercourse, urination, pelvic pain, prolapse. Um, there's a lot of things that can come up that, you know, you may need to see a women's health specialist.
0: I've learned this the hard way. Obviously, if you have a question for your doctor, um, but you don't really want to like ask it, maybe you're a little too embarrassed. What advice would you give for that situation?
1: I tell women all the time if they want Want to look up information? Either go to WebMD or the Mayo Clinic websites because those have very good information that's very clear uh, that is written at a level that people who are not medical can understand. Uh, Googling is is. Rarely a good idea. The thing to know is that it's gonna take you to the worst case scenario and you already have anxiety that won't help.
0: So is there anything that maybe we didn't touch on about menopause that you would just like to throw out there to anybody listening? Maybe someone that's going through it or has passed it that maybe I missed.
1: One common thing that that a lot of people go through is either pelvic organ prolapse where they feel like their cervix and bladder aren't where they used to be, um, or just leaking of urine. So when whenever a patient has those symptoms, first of all, they they need to realize that overwhelmingly that's not going to be a cancer or something really bad. The second thing is that they don't have to live with it. Um, When we talk about pelvic or in prolapse, oftentimes it can be as simple as just pelvic floor physical therapy, um, which is very helpful. We have, I think, eight pelvic floor physical therapists right here in Duluth in Essentia, not to mention the other facilities that are around. Things like Kegel exercises, pessaries. uh, Then, of course, there's surgical repairs that can can be very helpful and make people feel much better. Uh, Leaking of urine is something that, you know, Whoopi Goldberg had an ad on the Super Bowl a few years ago, and I had to laugh because it was for a diaper, essentially. And that's Seems incredibly, you know, not acceptable to me. You know, there's a lot of things we can do. Again, with with leaking of urine, you come in and you have to talk to your provider because really you have to figure out what exactly is going on. And there's. In general, most women will fall into two types, either leaking urine with laugh, cough, sneeze, jumping on a trampoline. That's called stress urinary incontinence. The other type of incontinence is called urgent incontinence, where women just can't make it into the door. You know, they pull in the driveway and leak urine or they turn on their faucet and they leak urine. Um, so two totally different situations, what they manifest as leaking urine. Um, the same deal, you have to figure out if they have a, a bladder infection. So you do a urine, urine analysis, urine culture on them. Um, do an examination and then really talk to the patient about well, what are your goals? And, and how we can make you feel better.
0: So is that the pelvic floor physical therapy that you suggest in like the leaking urine? Is that for women that have given birth or is it just for all women that get well, to a certain age? Yeah,
1: it can be for anyone. We we at Essentia have been leaders in this in pelvic floor PT and that we offer it to every patient who's had a baby, hoping to get ahead of any problems that could occur later in life. Um, but I would say equally as important is, you know, is the menopause patient who uh, is having difficulty or feeling pressure, uh, feeling a bulge. Um, that can be... Be very, very helpful for that.
0: But like you said, it's not something where like Whoopi Goldberg in that commercial, you don't have to just resort to wearing a diaper. There's easy Things that they can do and they'll they'll be Absolutely.
1: okay. A, a diaper, I mean, if if a patient prefers to wear, you know, a depends or that is her choice. But there's a lot of things that we can do that can avoid that.
0: Well, that that is good news because I think I know what commercial you're talking about as well. And you know, I think all women will be happy to know they have options. They can do what's best for them. The
1: main thing is that if they have a problem, you know, advocate for yourself and come in and say this is what's going on. You know, and the and the goal of the of the provider or the physician or whoever they might see is to listen to the patient, to figure out what is causing it, and then to know the options for her and to be able to explain this is what's going on. And this is the options that we have for you.
0: So is there any treatment for menopause symptoms? It kind of seems like things that maybe you just, you know, drink water, take a nap. Well, how can we kind of minimize those symptoms?
1: Absolutely. That, that's an excellent question. There's there's basic treatments to help patients with hot flashes, night sweats, sleep disturbances. Um, a lot of it is just lifestyle changes. You know, sleep with minimal clothing on, sleeping with some, uh, a light blanket, sleeping with your feet out uh, of the blanket, sleeping with a fan on your uh, feet, uh, avoiding caffeine at night, avoiding chocolate. Um, those can be spicy foods, can all be triggers uh, for hot flashes and night sweats. There's there's a number of medications that can be helpful. Uh, Effexor is used a lot. Black cohosh is kind of an off-label uh, supplement that in some studies has been shown to be helpful. Uh, and then there's, there's the old tried and true estrogen. And in two 2002, there was a big study that came out called the Women's Health Initiative, and it really changed how menopausal symptoms were treated, and that they took many, many women off of their estrogen and. That was in, in many situations probably good because there was a lot of people that were older that didn't need the estrogen um, or progesterone. But for some women receiving estrogen, the standard statement is the lowest dose for the shortest amount of time can really be life-changing. And I mentioned Dr. Lavaloo earlier, she would be proud for me to tell you that she is takes estrogen every single day of her life because for about three to 5% of patients, they just can't do without it. And so it, it really becomes a quality of life issue. And so the main point that I want to get across is that people should, not live with symptoms that are unacceptable to them.
0: Yeah, that's good advice. I'm stuck on something you said. Can you explain to me the chocolate thing? What, what is chocolate? How does that kind of tie into the, it, the metaphors? It's just the caffeine. Oh, the caffeine. Yeah. Okay. And that's a bummer, but I get that. So then last comment about the estrogen. Like you said, you can be on it for a short time. It doesn't have to be like the rest of your life.
1: Correct. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be, you know, you're going to take this estrogen pill or the patch and you're going to be on it forever. It may be that you, you know, you use it for four months and then we see how you're doing.
0: Yeah. That's probably a relief because I feel like women might look at that as like, that's too big of a commitment, you know, the rest of my life. So that's good to know. Well, I think that's that pretty much covers everything that we wanted to talk about on this episode with return guest OBGYN, Dr. Michael Cassing. We will catch you next time on another episode of The Real Talk and Women's Health Podcast with Essentia Health.